Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast, where we will discuss with industry experts on how to create wealth and build passive income from apartment buildings, self-storage, mobile home parks, and much more. Here is your host, Jonathan Way. Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Way, and I'm the founder of Grayson Capital Group, my investment firm. If you're interested in passively investing with us, please visit graystonecapgroup.com and join our investor network. Okay, and now on to the show. Andrew uh, is the president of NetHawk Equity, and um, he managed all aspects of the portfolio, including acquisitions, asset management, and capital raising. Before joining NetHawk Equity, he owned 400 residential units himself. Andrew has a corporate finance and real estate investing career that spans a decade. After finishing graduate school with a JD, MBA, Andrew was an investment banker providing corporate valuation analysis. Oh, that's a great background, Andrew. Thank you for coming to the show. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm really glad to be here. Great, great. Can you tell a little about your background, how you got started? Yeah, sure. My, so my background in real estate, I won't go, you know, further back into, um, my general corporate career, but my, my background in real estate, began in the the Great Recession of 2008. Uh, a couple of years before that, I had just bought a condo to live in um, for myself. Mm-hmm. And then when the recession hit, I wanted to get out of it, but I was underwater, so I couldn't sell it. And so I just rented it, uh, not with okay. any strategic plan, but just as sort of a, well, this is the only way I can move out of here kind of basis. And I started running it for a year or two years. And then I, I sort of stopped and looked at it one time and I realized the power of real estate. The tenants were paying down my mortgage. Um, I was getting cash flow and the economy was normalizing and the property was appreciating again. Wow. And I said, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, and, you know, so all that was happening, I really wasn't doing anything other than holding title to an asset. And, you know, I said to myself, wow, if I could do this for one property, how could I do it with a hundred? And that was the aha moment. And then from there, you know, there was duplexes and quads and relationships and joint ventures. But that was really my first moment where I realized, hey, this real estate thing is a whole lot more powerful to own assets rather than just trading my time for money. So that was the genesis of it all. Wow, that's amazing. During the crisis of 2008, right? A great recession. That's right. That's right. Yep. Well, that's amazing. And how did you meet uh, my coach, Drew Whitson? How did you guys become partners in the beginning? Uh, Drew Whitson and I actually go way back uh, to like 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. So... Um, uh, his, sorry, so my wife and his wife were best friends from college. Okay. And so, um, we were, once we, once we both started dating our respective wives, we were, uh, by marriage in a sense, uh, forced to be friends, right? Cause our wives <laughs> were going to hang out. And so we were going to hang out. But what we realized we had a, we had such similar personalities and sort of, you know, interest in economics and finance And so that was what we would just kind of jam about. We would just talk about that together for years, um, well before we had any real estate together. Um, And then again, when the Great Recession happened, he started buying up a number of single family homes, all of which he could see from the front porch of his house. Oh, wow. And um, that's when I was in graduate school. I'm like, oh, man, what you're doing is so cool. You and I should do this together one day. But we kind of said that in just kind of the way that two guys talk in a bar about one day they want to start a company. I don't know. We were really serious about it. Um, but then here we are, you know, a decade later and 2000 units under management later. And it actually, it actually worked out. So the relationship, this is one of my tips. I talk about people all the time is, um, you're getting into such financially significant relationships with people Mm -hmm. that if it's possible at all to do deals with a partner 
that you know and have deep trust with that predates yeah. your real estate. That's the best because these are million dollar, literally or multi-million dollar relationships with, and yes. they, they, you are contractually obligated to work together for five years, seven years, a long time. Yes. And a lot of things can and will come up. And unless you have that deep reservoir of trust yes. with your partners, um, it can get tough. It can get, it can get ugly. So with him, uh, with this business partner of mine, you know, he's both very smart and I trust him, um, immensely. And that is a phenomenal foundation for working together. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. No, I like Jerusalem. He's really trustful and he's a really honest person. So mm-hmm. it's great. It's great. So how, um, was so it, did you just join a coach as a coach with Michael Blanc? Was that how you started in Michael Blanc's network? You know, again, it's, it's, it was networking. Um, Michael started posting on Bigger Pockets. I don't know what year it was, 2013 or so. Okay. And I was reading Bigger Pockets and that was when I was an investment banker. So when I was an investment banker, I lived, eat and breathed spreadsheets and I knew them inside out. And I also knew that I wanted to get into real estate at that time. Okay. Um, but I knew there was a, it was a, it was a lot of work to create a financial model that thoroughly and accurately analyze real estate. And because I, I spent so much time in spreadsheets, I knew how to tell a good one from a fake, okay. right? Yes. And so I came across Michael's syndicated deal analyzer um, through, I think, one of his podcasts or, or through one of his articles at Bigger Pockets. So I just wrote an, art, an email really short. And I said, hey, this is a really, really good product. Um, I like it a lot. And I, I actually had just used it to buy a 32-unit apartment building. So that, oh, wow. I think that was like the hook in my email that attracted his attention. He's like, Oh my goodness, you, you actually used it. And I think I was one of the, one of the <laughs> first people to ever use the SDA. And I was like, yeah, I did. And then he said, why don't you jump on my podcast? And so I joined his podcast. I was one of the earlier episodes. And then we just stayed in communication. And I think the way that we um, saw the world and our sort of, uh, you know, that we understood real estate um, aligned with one another and we just hit it off, had good rapport. And so um, I was his first coach. I was the first coach in the program. Okay. Um, and then, you know, things just grew from there. So we've been working together for, I don't know, five years now. Wow. Wow. That's um, great. That's great, Andrew. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and now he, I uh, think that you created Nahawk Equity and you became president of Nahawk Equity, which is, right. which is his investment firm that manages all, I guess, everything from asset acquisition to asset manager capital raising. Right. So tell us a little about the asset manager aspect of it. You know, I heard you on DealMaker Live. So tell a little bit more how, what tips would you give for a new person in asset management? Yeah. Asset management is the hidden critical aspect of succeeding in this business. So there, there, there's three aspects. I think of it like a three legged stool. There's finding deals, there's finding capital, and then there's owning the asset and executing on your business strategy post close. Yes. And you have to do all three well. Uh, if any of them don't work out well, just kind of, if you just run the thought experiment through your, through your mind, if any of the three don't go well, you will end up failing in this business, um, just okay. how it is. And and so when someone goes into the idea of own, buying and fixing up apartment buildings, the two parts of the stool that are necessary to get your first deal are finding the deal and finding money. And then yes. those two yes. marry at the closing table, right? Yes, yes. But then only after that happens do you have to manage the asset. And I think some people can have false hopes that once you buy a property, you mm-hmm. just throw it over the fence to the property manager and then voila, like it just starts producing cash. And it would be awesome if it was that simple. And I have seen properties that have excellent property management and and it almost is that simple. I mean, it's not really that simple, but it's pretty close to it. 
But the majority of the time, it still takes hours each week of thinking of the property, following critical strategic initiatives that you're running to actually deliver on uh, your your promise or what you've put forward as what you think you're going to achieve. And so that's yeah. the role of asset management. And yes. it's absolutely critical to do it. Um, and, and so that's where I do find myself spending a lot of time. In fact, today is my, is my calls to the property management day. Okay. And, okay. um, just before we began the podcast together, Jonathan, I was telling you that I've been on, um, three hours straight of Zoom calls with property yes. managers talking yeah. about, you know, last week you said you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Did you do it? How did it work? How should we change? And so we're talking about all these granular things okay. that are, that are precursors to the, you know, the ultimate financials that we send out to investors every single week. Yes. Um, yes. So I'm probably being a little bit long-winded here, but the, the real headline here is asset management is the part of the business that doesn't go away, and you have to get good at it to really succeed. Yes, and I agree, because when I had my first property, I had a really challenging time, because I was just like, you know, like you, the first time, oh, let's, let's leave the property management, maybe it'll run really good, but I realized that when the true colors come out, reality is it's not doing a good job, and how to, how to take action. So yeah. this this is what I realized my my lesson being a uh, first time doing that that syndication deal, and you're absolutely right. It's, you have to always you know say what did you do, how did you do it, be on top of them, have weekly meetings, right? And it's it's very critical. Otherwise, it's gonna probably go down downhill. Right, right. That's yeah. right. And uh, I mean, your most important decision is choosing your property manager. If you do that right, everything is downhill. If you do it wrong, everything is uphill from there. So choosing your property management is phenomenally important. Mm-hmm. So how would you give tips to someone who could, who's new? How would you vet or choose a property manager that you think is right? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question in two ways. Number one, choosing your property management is so important that I have become tempted to advise people to choose your property manager before you choose your property. And what I mean by that is most people, they, they let's say they want to go buy a building in um, Kansas City, right? Yeah. So they go to Kansas City, they look at 30 to 50 unit apartment buildings, and they find the one that they like, right? Yes. So, okay, yes. I got it. It's on 123 Main Street. This is my building. It's my first apartment building. Yes. Then, and only then, do they go out to property managers, and they're like, hey, I got this property under contract. It's at this location. It's at this size. Can you manage it? And so in other words, the, the investment asset dictates the property manager. That's how it's usually done. Yes. And what I've realized is that an all, flipping those around is probably the, the better way to do it. So um, first you go to Kansas City and you find all of the property managers in Kansas City yes. and you interview them. Hey, this is my background. This is what I'm about. I'm looking at assets kind of like this. And you really say, what properties, what property sizes do you manage? That could be how many units are there. It could be what are the average rents that you manage. Okay. Um, and it could be what parts of town. And so once you talk to four or five different property managers and you get a feel for all their answers, you might say PM number three is the all-star that I want to have managing my assets. And then okay. based upon that, you say to that property manager, hey, what property sizes are you willing to manage? What properties do you advise? What neighborhoods? And then they help you draw your sandbox that you want to play in. Oh, okay. Um, so that's okay. that's my first advice is is really consider flipping around the playbook so that you choose okay. your property management first 
and then your asset second. Yes, that's a very good advice. I really yeah. agree with that because you have to find out a good property man who can guide you. Otherwise, you get once you get in a property, your, your, your time is stuck and your time is passing by. You need to find them quickly. But you made the wrong choice, basically. And, and if you if you if you buy a Again, let's continue the analogy. Let's, you buy a 30 unit in Kansas City, right? Okay. And you yeah. find out that all the excellent property managers manage 70 units and up. Yeah. You're, you're stuck. And, yeah. and that, that size can be what I call the donut, right? And so yeah. there's property managers that focus on single families and quads and duplexes on yes. one end of the donut. Uh-huh. And the other end of the donut is people that manage only 60 units and up or 80 units and up. And the middle is this big hole. It's the donut. Yeah. And that's if you've bought the asset and then you find out that you're in the donut, you're in trouble, right? And so you want to know that beforehand. It's a really critical piece of information in order to have the execution of your strategy be a downhill process, not an uphill process. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Great, great advice. And then once you take it over and you have a property manager, what tips would you give them? How would you, I guess, check up on them or how would you manage them? So uh, it's a great question. There is no easy list that I can think of off the top of my head for that, but I can, I can come up with a few ideas. So first off, uh, if you have to babysit them too much, then you have the wrong property manager. So I was just on a phone call a, a bit ago with, with, with our main asset manager for Nighthawk Equity. We were talking about one of our property managers that on a recent visit, we sat down with the property management and we said, okay, we want you to be doing X, Y, and Z with regard to this tenant and that tenant and that tenant. Yes. And they're like, okay, okay, we'll do that. Okay. And then we were on a phone call with them today and uh, those things hadn't happened. Oh. And in fact, yeah. on the phone call, it almost felt like a property manager had a sort of, um, oh yeah, that, that would be a good thing to do. Like he, he didn't remember that we had asked for that to be done last week. Oh. And so okay. what I said to our asset manager was, it's almost like you want him to have signed a piece of paper saying, I will do X, Y, and Z within seven days. Yes. But of course, if you have to babysit them on that level of granularity, mm-hmm. then you already know you have a problem. Yes. Right? Yes. So my point in telling that story is there are definitely some things you should be doing to make sure that the property management is executing on what you've uh, asked them to do. But if you're getting too deep into the weeds, it's your canary in the coal mine that um, that that you might have the wrong person. So at a high level, people should be aware of that dynamic. Um, but, but on a more basic level, you absolutely want to be having um, weekly phone calls, at least initially okay. in that, in that property to talk about initiatives. How are these things going? Are units being renovated? How is the leasing going? What's the best source for incoming, uh, you know, applicants? Okay. Um, so that's, that's very important as weekly calls. And on those weekly calls, to not just be talking, but to be tracking those conversations over time. So yes. think of it almost like a spreadsheet. You know, in the vertical columns, you have the weeks. and the horizontal rows, you have your initiatives. And you're tracking those things over time to see if they're actually okay. getting done. Okay, I see. Right? I see. Yes. And then, of course, you want to look at your financials every single month. And you want your property manager to be comparing the uh, the actuals to the budget that you created and agreed to with them. Okay. And when the numbers are off by, say, 10% or more, they have to come to you with an explanation. Hey, here's why we missed on this month. Here's what's going wrong. You know, um, we can't evict because of COVID and that's having an impact because we have six non-paying tenants, you know, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, and so those yeah. reporting with that variance reporting will help you understand your property more. Mm-hmm. Um, we also on, depending on the property, we'll do secret shopping of our property. So we'll pay yeah. someone 
to go to that property, pretend to be a prospective tenant, and basically score the leasing agent on all of these different metrics. How do they do it trying to close the sale? Did they walk me to the units? Did they try to up upsell me on a different unit? Um, did they let me walk away easily or do they try to sort of pull me back in and tell me why I shouldn't walk away without leasing? You know, okay. and then we get a report and, um, and, and then we'll bring it back to them. We'll say, Hey, you only scored 78 out of a hundred. You know, okay. we're going to shop you again in three months. We want to see improvement. Okay. Right. Okay. That's Great. phenomenal. Um, candid, honest feedback to the leasing agent that will drive their behavior to, do, to be different. Um, okay. so there's just a sampling of things that we do to try to, make sure that our actual trajectory is mm-hmm. as close to or better than the um, projected tra- trajectory when we bought the asset. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, let's talk about some things where, you know, I guess you didn't expect to happen and it went, it went kind of astray. For example, red top, I'm going to invest in your deal. Yep. I think it went a little bit astray. So can you tell how did it went astray and how come we're losing the water, leaking the water or something? Can you tell a little bit about that? Yep. That, so, so you already hinted at it. The biggest issue that we've encountered at that property was that the water bills were higher than we underwrote them to be. And they were higher than they ought to be. And, um, you know, one thing you have to real, I think a lot of times what I've seen in myself and in other investors is that when you, when you buy the property and turn over property management, you assume that they are experts in all things related to overseeing an asset. And that simply isn't true. You know, no one can be a concert uh, violinist and trombone player and percussion player at the same time. You know, you specialize, yes. right? And so the analogy there is we said to our property manager, hey, this water bill is getting higher. What's going on? And they're like, well, we'll call Birmingham Water and see if we can figure it out. And, you know, oh, maybe it's this, or we'll have our maintenance team go in and make sure that there's no leaks anywhere. And for a while we said, okay, why don't you go do that? And eventually we said, we need to talk to someone. We need to find someone who is, who's like, who, who, who is so specialized in water leaks that they don't do anything else. They're not property managers. They're water leak specialists. Leaks. Okay. And, and okay. so we did that. And what we found is there were some leaks that were not at the faucet of the units. They were sort of internal to the property itself that oh. were causing um, our water bills to be so high. And because okay. we found that, we were able to um, address those leaks, uh, with, mitigate the, the, the water bills and bring them down uh, I, I'm rusty on the numbers, but a, a phenomenal amount. And on an asset of that mm-hmm. size with a smaller property, yes, um, you know, even saving bringing your water bill down by two thousand dollars could double your NOI. So a phenomenally mm-hmm. large thing. So that's okay. just an example of how that asset was 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 um, underperforming because of that one issue. And okay. I think that we were a little bit too deferential in our timetable, okay. um, and by by take by wrestling that issue back into our own hands. And yes. not just deferring to property management on that one, yes. we were able to get it solved. And yes. so, yeah, yeah o- over time, you, your property manager should be experts, but they will never be experts in everything. And sometimes you just have to call in a third party vendor who focuses on that one issue to yes. get it resolved. Yeah, I had a similar situation recently where I went up to my own property and what they did was they moved, we had released an office to a dog training company, but they had to move the internet to a smaller, like a storage facility. But what happened was the Wi Fi went down and people were complaining about the internet and I had my own security 
security cameras installed to watch the property myself. So when me and my friend went up there, Bobby, we didn't, we didn't see no Wi-Fi. We, I complained to the property. I said, listen, on Monday, I want you to get the IT, IT technician and fix the Wi-Fi right away. High priority. The residents are complaining and I'm complaining. And then they finally fixed it on a Monday and now it's mounting us back up. So it's something like that where, you know, they had no expertise in, in, in how do Wi-Fi networks, but they never told me that they needed to send someone out there. So I had to go see for myself, my first hand. Right, right. And another important thing of what you just said there, Jonathan, was being very specific. I'm going to be there on Monday and I want to see it corrected by Monday end of business, right? And so yes. that's a very yeah. clear directive. I think sometimes in our conversation with property management, it's very loosey-goosey. How are things going? Are rents improving? Are tenants happy? Those are very amorphous things. Okay. Now the property management, they want, obviously their job depends upon selling you the good news that things are going well there. And yes. so if you ask vague questions, you're going to get vague answers and they might, they're not misleading, but they're not there. There's room for ambiguity, right? And so your, yeah. your question is really good. Can you get this solved? I want to have Wi-Fi access by 5 PM on Monday. That's very critical. And then of course, following up and making sure that happens that can make the difference, giving them clear, you know, goals like that. That's just kind of management one-on-one, but it applies here mm-hmm. too. Great. Great. Now do you um, use the same property managers? But I guess I assume you use it in local areas. Well, it's a good question, Jonathan. We do not have just one property manager right now, but we definitely see the value in having commonality across the portfolio. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, when someone starts doing this career as a career, they get property manager A for, for building A and then mm-hmm. B for B. And you're like, that's fine, right? Because you're just, you only have two properties at first. And yes. then eventually you scale and you go from one properties to six to 10. And every, if, if every single property has a different software system, a different property manager, a different way that they're, different way that they report capital expenditures from NOI, all of a sudden you have a mess. You, you don't have a business, you have a headache. Yes. And, and so you absolutely, if you want to scale smartly, mm-hmm. you, as much as you can, you'd like to be in one geography with one property manager, uh, with one type of accounting system, all, all those types of, you know, all those types of things should be similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more you can do that, probably the better off you are. So we are, we're trying to harmonize that more and more. I think we got a little bit wide and now we're bringing things back together so that we feel equipped to scale up further okay. without letting the complexity of our business um, cause missed things to happen. Yeah. And I think I heard in one of your podcasts with Michael said, when you're small, you can use Google Sheets to top, yeah. populate the stuff. But then later on, you scale, you want to use some kind of system or, yeah. right? What, what, would you re- what would you recommend? If you could see like, you know, let's say you have 10 properties, what would you use as a system to keep track yeah. of Yeah, I was just talking to another syndicator who basically just pivoted from spreadsheets and Google Sheets uh, up to a management software system last week. And he, he basically said it got too big and it got too complex. And I was too afraid of just making a mistake managing it on spreadsheets. So this is another part of the natural progression. Um, some of the leading software systems are, uh, there's one called Syndicator Pro. Okay, yes. Uh, there's one yes. called um, Investor Deal Room or IDR. Okay. And then sort of the uh, the 800-pound gorilla is IMS, right? IMS, okay. Um, and... Uh, another one that people have used to raise money is called CrowdStreet. Um, but my understanding is that CrowdStreet isn't as sophisticated on the post-close management of the asset. Um, So so those are some of the different vendors out there. Um, we've worked with IMS. We've looked at the other ones as well. Um, those those are the ones you want to be looking at. I don't think they're necessary for just managing one deal. Uh, it's, it's it's probably more to work with. Frankly, you got to learn the whole system. So, 
Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, there's a monthly subscription fee to them. Yes. But as you go from three to four to five deals, you want to be looking at those things. Yes, yes. Great. That's great, Andrew. Um, and what advice would you give to someone or what's your best advice if you get someone who's, who's starting out? Yeah, uh, I think I'll, I'll give a couple pieces of advice. Number one, um, get out from behind your computer. Get on the phone, talk to brokers, um, submit LOIs, like get active in submitting offers on deals because I can see people just, I see people just analyze deals for a whole year and they're, they, they always find a reason to talk themselves out of deals. So submit, oh. submit LOIs, you know, and okay. maybe they're ones that you don't even want to win because you think the price point is so low, but you, you got to mm-hmm. sort of get past the analysis, um, and, know and your what, strengths and weaknesses. Sure. Um, and, and, and if necessary, and I find that usually this is helpful, work with someone who complements where you're weak, uh, but yeah. also keeps you accountable to moving forward. Great, great. And, and Andrew, why do you think people don't submit LOIs? It is under, under right. What, what do you think is the reason for that? Because they're afraid of, they're afraid they might win the deal. And then if they won the deal, they'd be, it'd be one of these, oh shoot, what do I do now moments? Oh, right. So I think okay. some people really, they're kind of, they, they, they don't know it, but subconsciously they like to window shop. They don't act, they don't like to actually buy. Um, oh, okay. they fool themselves into thinking that they want to buy. But when, when I talk to them, I'm like, all right, what's the LOI price? What are you going to offer for this thing? There's, there's a, there's a backing away from the deal. I, I see that a lot. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So they're afraid basically. Okay. They're afraid yeah. of the fear basically. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, great, Andrew. Thank you very much. It was a great, uh, coming on the show and I really appreciate your guidance and advice. Absolutely, Jonathan. Good to speak to you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. For more information, you can find us online at www.graystonecapgroup.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. See you again next time.